right, here's a list of things I've collected in my life other than sports cards. Chicago Cubs game programs, original pressings of Blue Note Records, autographs from my favorite musicians, wacky packs, remember those? The plastic football helmets you used to get out of bubblegum machines, the plastic baseball hats you used to get out of bubblegum machines, actual baseball hats, throwback MLB and NFL jerseys, Mad Magazines, National Lampoon Magazines, and Spy Magazines, a magazine that was read pretty much only by people who lived in New York City in the 90s. Point being, there is a lot of stuff to collect. And on this episode, we're going to talk to some of my CSG colleagues who have forgotten more about collecting things like comics and vintage paper money than I'll ever know. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am confident, 200% confident, that after learning about all of these different asset classes, I am going to certainly want to collect this. Welcome to Collect This, powered by CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. Here's your host, Alan Goldscher. Guys, I'm tired of the sound of my own voice, so I'm going to make Andy Broom, my esteemed colleague, uh, read our promo copy this week. Andy, rock the mic, sir. Check out the special deal for you awesome, awesome Collect This listeners. Head over to csgcards.com slash join, select premium, and use the promo code collect this and you can join csg at the premium level for only 99 dollars. that's 50 dollars off of the regular price not only that but you'll also get a 150 dollars same as cash credit so the price of membership pays for itself but wait there's more yeah there is <laughs> uh, you'll get access to exclusive benefits like discounts on select add-on services, 24-7 online submission tracking, and 10% off at the CCG store. Once again, csgcards.com slash join. Select premium and use the code collect this. Get your grade on with CSG. Andy, it's almost like you've done this before. <laughs> A few times. A few times. Really excellent stuff uh, without rehearsal. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I have... I have a roundtable here of uh, some of my esteemed colleagues from CSG and CCG, and I'm really excited to, to talk about grading and what's going on in the collecting landscape within their respective verticals. But more importantly, I want to get their collecting origin stories. I think it's really interesting that here we are. We are so lucky to be working in this industry, uh, working within our little passion projects, right? Uh, Matt Nelson, you have risen to the ranks of the president of CGC Comics, which is... Uh, so exciting. It must be a thrill for you. I'm guessing that you are a lifelong comic nerd. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I started when I was 12 and it has not stopped. In fact, it just got bigger and bigger over the years. So yeah, lifelong collector for sure. How did, Talk about being a lifelong collector. What got you into it? What kept you in it? Um, well, it was uh, first uh, G.I. Joe. You know, I was a kid. I was collecting the toys. <laughs> this is the 80s. Uh, so G.I. Joe was huge. And then I saw a commercial for G.I. Joe number 49 sale on the newsstands and so you know i'd never really made the connection to comics until then and so i ran out and got it and that hooked me and so um shortly thereafter i started uh visiting local comic shops which led me into other titles uh and then eventually the the older books like the silver age and um and then from there it just grew uh, in college i got a job at a comic store uh mm. worked on uh through college at that place and then um got an opportunity to train with bill cerillo who's the father of restoration comics uh 96 i was in my early 20s 
And then my focus shifted to that. So I started uh, restoring comics and then CGC opened in 2000. And I started uh, doing other things at pressing, obviously grading. It just expanded from there. And then, uh, you know, ultimately it led me to CGC. And that's where I am today. When you say you train, how does that happen? What, how do you train uh, to grade comics to learn about comics? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who look at you and say, oh, my God, I want your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cool job. No, it's great. Like you were saying, being able to do what uh, our passion is, 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 a, is a blessing. Um, well, training for restoration is, is different. I mean, comic grading, you know, as, as, as I uh, tell a lot of people, is that something that you can only do by grading thousands of comic books. Um, and not everyone has that opportunity, but uh, restoration is a different animal. Um, I was taught the techniques in a matter of a couple of weeks, and then basically just had to go home and, and practice, I guess, just like grading. Um, but uh, there, was, there was a big demand for restoration back then. So the second I got off the plane from Boston, I had my friends shoving comics in my face, wanting me to fix this and that. So <laughs> I, was, I was never without work after that day. Um, but yeah, it's a lot restoration at the, at the time. It was very, uh, a lot of trial and error. Um, and, and it, it evolved over time as well. In, in speaking with graders, since I've been here, um, the one commonality is that you got to put in the work, right? You can't just, you can't just look at something and grade it. You have to grade stuff and grade stuff and grade stuff and grade stuff. Uh, and I remember, uh, speaking to Andy Broom, who we'll hear from in a second. Andy told me that you grade stuff without grading stuff. You just do it. You just like you sit at home and you look at the card or you look at in your case the comic and say, okay, this is a fill in the blank. Yeah, yeah. Part part of the uh, the experience that goes into grading is seeing the same books over and over again, the same grades over and over again. Yep, so, yep, yep. you know, when we look at a Hulk one eighty one or a Spidey three hundred, even an AF fifteen, you know, those of us that have been doing it for years uh, remember all those copies we've graded before in the in those grades as well and so there's a there's a mental comparison that goes on so you're not grading in a vacuum really grading based on all the thousands of books that you graded prior particularly those mm -hmm. issues that's the issue that's in front of you so um that yeah and i mean autopilot does kind of kick in because you know exactly where to look on the book where right. color touch is most often found what people usually do to these books what they're worth uh where defects usually are, are present um and so yeah that that's part of the uh i guess going into that mode of grading is is just, uh, yeah, you just plow through it without even thinking about it sometimes. I am at best a C minus comic student. Um, how do you grade a comic? What makes it special? What makes it beautiful? What makes it not beautiful? Um, you know, I know with sports cards, you got to look at the center, you got to look at the edges, et cetera, et cetera. What is, is, is the, what's the thing that comic collectors need the most out of a comic to make it special and beautiful? Yeah, in terms of grade structural, there's structural and aesthetics. Um, structural is the more prominent aspect of a book in grading. So uh, things like creases, tears, missing pieces, uh, spine stress lines. Aesthetics are more like tanning, uh, stains, foxing. Um, mm -hmm. and, but then there's also positive aesthetics like uh, whiteness, gloss, ink reflectivity. Uh, the silver staples, and and so um, the collect you know more astute collectors are going to look for those positive aesthetics, particularly on high grade books. Uh, you may have a, a number of nine four copies of a book, but they'll look different from copy to copy because of the ink strike uh, or the centering, which is not as big of a deal in comics as they are in cards. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but these are things that uh, advanced collectors usually look for. Um, but as far as like grading overall, it's, it's more of a, a science on the top end. This is probably true maybe for, for all uh, verticals, but um, you can quantify defects in the nines. 
um, counting the number of spine stress lines or the length of a crease or a tear. Um, as you get down to lower grades, it becomes a lot more of a um, uh, uh, of uh, uh, an art, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so you get, that's because you've got a, a combination of defects, uh, endless combinations of defects, many going on at once. And so it, it becomes hard to tie them all together to come up with an accurate grade. What is the, the, the 52 mantle or the T206 Honus Wagner of comics? What's the thing, the holy grail, the one that we want to see in the perfect condition that'll, call, that'll earn like a gajillion dollars for, sale, <laughs> for the sale? Well, action one is the big one. That's, that's historically the, the one that started superheroes. Um, but Amazing Fantasy 15, the first Spider-Man that came out about 30, 35 years later, 25 years later. Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, Hulk 181 in the 70s. So th- those are your big three. Um, but then there's also the first Batman, the first Captain America. There's a lot that are, and they're all vying for the number one spot. You know, the sales and our record sales over the past couple of years, they've all kind of bypassed each other at one point or another. Um, the highest grade copies of whatever's in the market at the time. But action one is, is always been considered the Holy Grail. Now I know in CSG world, whenever one of these iconic items comes across our desk or whenever a, a, a magical one of one rookie card, just any great card makes it into the grading room. We get really excited about it. Uh, is that the deal over in comic land or are you guys kind of like, yeah, another cool. Another cool <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, we have, a, we have a good number of graders that have not, they don't grade vintage uh, and maybe they haven't seen uh, several copies like, like the more seasoned uh, graders have. So yeah, anytime we have an action one or tech 27 or, you know, a nine, four copy of AF 15 or anything like that come through the room. Yeah. We'll have a parade of graders get up and, and come by and take a look at it. So it, it's always exciting. You know, a couple, few times a year we get in uh, books like that, uh, that really just uh, turn heads and everyone comes by to check it out. So there, there's no dull moment over here. What's the comic world looking like right now? What's hot? What's not? Um, what can we look forward to maybe in the future? Uh, that's a good question. You know, the, it's hard to tell with the future because things have changed so much and gone in directions I never thought they would uh, the past few years. And they're, they're, all the areas of comics are hot. Um, even Golden Age uh, 50s books, which um, Golden Age is kind of a, mm, it, it's not as mainstream, I guess, as like the silver with the Marvels and the bronze and the new comics. But uh, it's a very cover driven market. And a lot of collectors tend to uh, get into the newer comics and work their way backwards. So we're seeing, you know, really strong sales on Golden Age, particularly classic covers or classic characters like Batman and Superman. Uh, 50s books, there's just, a, there's a, there's so many, uh, you know, different uh, genres and cool covers and characters there. And then, of course, you got your silver and your bronze. Basically, when you start with Marvel and 61 forward and DC as well, then you get into the, the close tie-ins with the movies and everything going on in the media. So that, that's what's driving that market primarily. And then you've got the new comic market, which uh, a lot of that material is being turned into, t- into TV shows and movies. Um, and so there's a lot of interest there. And of course, you've got your variant covers and all these other different aspects. So there's a lot of different things for, for comic collectors to get into. So um, across the board, everything's looking really strong. And uh, I mean, who knows what, what the future holds, but uh, as long as they keep cranking movies out, it's, it's, it's going to keep going. Matt Quinn, VP at CGC. Um, you are the card guy, but not the sports card guy. No, no tell sports me, cards here. Tell me what cards you do. And and remember, so, uh, if I'm a C-minus student for, for comics, I'm yeah. like a D-plus student for non-sports cards. So school okay. me, I need help. 
Sure, no problem. So uh, primarily our big focus obviously is uh, trading card games. So, you know, cards that you can actually shuffle up, play a game with and have fun, you know, doing that aspect of gameplay. But um, we also do non-sports. So, you know, Pokemon Tops, Marvel cards now. We slowly start to release, you know, more non-sports sets out. We like to have our you know, internal database as complete as it can before we start accepting submissions for these other non-sport areas. Just because we want to make sure that we have a, a vast knowledge base on everything we're doing. What is your collecting journey? We heard about Matt Nelson's. Let's hear about yours. How did you get into these cards? Because it's a very, uh, I, I feel like more so than comics, more so than sports. It's super niche. Sure. No, it definitely is. And just like Matt started at a young age, you know, I was in sixth grade um, and Magic the Gathering came out. It was 1994. Mm -hmm. You know, it came out in 93, but 94 was really mainstream across the whole the whole country. And, uh, you know, everyone had to have magic cards. You weren't cool. So, you know, I rapidly, you know, wanted to grab some more magic cards. And, you know, I really kind of just took a really strong liking to the game, um, to the, the aesthetics of the cards and things of that nature. Um, and interestingly enough, um, you know, I kind of collected coins with my grandfather at the same time. So, you know, the fact that they were collectible card games and you know, I, I like collecting coins, it kind of like went hand in hand. Um, and from there, you know, I, uh, my career really turned into a numismatic career more so than a, a card career. It was a mm -hmm. you know, rare currency, banknotes, things like that. And uh, I actually made a professional career out of that in California, working for a major auction company called Stacks Powers for about eight years. So, um, you know, throughout my numismatic career, I always did cards on the side as well, mostly Magic the Gathering, a little bit of Pokemon. But, you know, I had dealt with the other third party grading companies of, um, you know, trading card games. And it was always kind of second fiddle. So, you know, Magic the Gathering, Pokemon is always like, you know, yeah, we grade those too, but, you know, we really don't care. We won't, you know, treat them the right way, give them the proper designations and things of that nature. So in the back of my head, I always thought there could be a better brand for grading trading cards. And, um, you know, as I came to the Certified Collectibles Group, I was actually hired here for Rare Currency to help with their currency department. But... You know, they were kicking the can down the road about doing trading card games, you know, and certifying cards. And, mm -hmm. you know, having had a lot of experience with it in the past, I thought it would be a great time to throw my hat in the ring, rekindle the old spirit that I had with those games, and uh, really, um, you know, push the envelope for, you know, trading card games and grading for trading card games. And uh, thus, CGC Trading Cards was born. You know, we focus on, like I said, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Digimon, all those kind of games. And as well as non-sports cards as well. But uh, the big focus, obviously, is uh, trading card games. So as a sports card guy, when I was a kid, um, uh, like most kids probably of my generation, I beat the crap out of my cards. I did not treat them well. Uh, they, they, I played games with them. I didn't put them in the spokes of my bicycle. I knew better than that. But I did. they were in a shoebox under my bed, right? Yeah. In the trading card culture that you're part of, that you were part of in the early 90s, uh, the Magics and the Pokemons, et cetera, et cetera, do collectors tend to treat their cards better than dummies like me did back in the day? Oh, no, definitely not. You know, back in the uh, <laughs> 93, 94, like when I was playing really early, there was no such thing as sleeves for decks. So the cards had all the same backs, so you could shuffle them up and play them, and they'd be sliding across dirty tables and this and that, so the cards yeah. naturally get beat up. Um, you know, probably about right around the late 90s, you know, deck sleeves came out, so like, you know, you could put the cards in sleeves and then shuffle them up. But even then, you still get stuff inside of them because you're really manipulating the cards a lot with your hands and, and doing all kinds of other things, you know, in and out of binders because you're changing your decks. So, you know, cards definitely took wear a lot. So the only times you're going to find really packed fresh cards from way back in the day for gaming is stuff that's been opened recently or 
people that were just strictly collectors who just put it, you know, packed a sleeve to binder and left it there. Uh, but any cards that get played at all, really, you know, they're going to lose that chance of being, you know, a pristine or a perfect, you know, things yeah. like that. But um, no, I mean, the trading card acts because they were made to be played. They're built a little tougher than a sports card, which is nice. They all have a nice wear coat on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the corners are rounded for the most part. So, you know, they don't take wear quite as easily as a sports card would, but they still take some some damage that will affect the grade for sure if you're uh, if you're beating them around the table. I am legit curious. I'm going to ask you the same uh, Holy Grail question I asked Matt Nelson. Yeah. What is the Holy Grail? What's the Pokemon Holy Grail? What's the Magic Holy Grail? What's the Holy Grail of some uh, some um, vertical that I'm missing entirely? Well, that's the beauty part with trading card games because you have so many different ones. So like you said, Magic, Pokemon, you have Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, all these other different trading card games, and they all have their own perspective grails. Um, but with Pokemon, you know, the, the first edition Charizard, you know, the base set Unlimited, uh, all those are, you know, the big grail cards for most people. But the first edition one in particular, obviously, is the first English release of Pokemon in the United States. And, you know, that card trades for hundreds of thousands of dollars and in the highest of grades. Um, and if you want to go beyond that to the super niche stuff, you can get the Pokemon Illustrator card, which was released only in Japan. You know, there's only roughly 40 copies or so and known to exist. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's one that we had just sold in our holder for uh, just over or just under $700,000. Wow. Gem Midnight 5 grade. So, you know, we've rated five of those now to date. Um, you know, people are really appreciating our grading service and our brand for even these iconic trophy cards, which is great. And then my personal favorite, Magic the Gathering, you have the Black Lotus. Uh, most people are familiar with that card if they know anything about Magic. The Black Lotus is, you know, the most iconic, the most coveted card that's ever produced in the game. Uh, fortunately, it was made in the very first set, Alpha, back in 93. And, uh, you know, with the alpha printing, there was only 1,100 of each rare card made. So an alpha mm-hmm. was a rare, or the Black Lotus alpha was, you know, the rare card in that set. And um, so only 1,100 ever got printed. So with attrition and other things and people slamming on tables, like I mentioned, the amount of gem-made copies out there are very limited. Um, you know, the Black Lotus comes in four different sets. You know, um, there are a couple different other ones, too. So you have the alpha printing, the beta printing, the unlimited printing. And then after that, it was removed because it was too powerful. And there's a couple uh, collector edition sets that got printed in as well, but um, the alpha one is the most iconic, and then the beta. Uh, we just recently graded a beta one in pristine ten, which is you know amazing. You know, finding a black lotus, well centered, perfect corners, edges, surface, all that stuff is so hard. But the the beta one we got in recently was just a visual treat. And like you were mentioning with Matt, you know, uh, you know when cool cards like that come around, we do definitely uh, you know get the graders to come over and do their oohs and ahs. <laughs> you know, cause it's, it's pretty cool. We all we're all geeks in our grading room. That's what I like about CDC trading cards is that all my graders are just, you know, gaming guys. So they all they know is the gaming cards and some non sport mm-hmm. stuff. So they really, you know, appreciate the finer details of grading these cards. So in sports car land, uh, manufactured scarcity is a big deal. You got your one on ones, which, you know, fetch you six figures. Um, very, very much sought after. In your world, in the Pokemon world, in the Magic world, they're games, right? These are games. So there's probably less of that going on, or am I completely wrong on that one? No, you're absolutely correct. Um, you know, for pretty much the entire history up or history up until just recently, there's never been numbered cards for Pokemon Magic, Yu-Gi-Oh, things like that. There's been really limited releases for like trophy cards, but these are, you know, cards you can't pull from a pack, unlike, you know, the sports cards you're talking about. So um but just this last year magic has been starting to release serialized cards um you know usually of 500s right now is the big popular one that just came out so there are some chase cards that can be worth a couple thousand bucks if you pull them from a pack but 
there's nothing like you can't crack a pack and pull a hundred thousand dollar card that's for sure not happening right. in magic or pokemon right now um unless you're cracking a vintage pack obviously you could uh, open up something really old but for modern product you know you could probably snipe maybe five six thousand dollar card out of something like that if the grade is right but um you know most of the time people are just trying to put together sets of modern stuff which is a big thing with pokemon and magic everyone likes to build sets um but yeah soon lost cards are coming though i think a lot of the uh, manufacturers are starting to realize that that's a really big important collector aspect and having that mm -hmm. lottery style chase card you know is, <laughs> is important for them so anecdotally speaking it seems like that pokemon especially is just blowing up and has been doing so for the last like 18 months um am i wrong on that or are you seeing these just like crazy rise in interest and um high-end prices well, yeah, you know, you have a bunch of influencers and celebrities out there that love Pokemon card collecting. So they really fuel the fire that there is for the the interest in the hobby. Also, Pokemon Company, you know, itself is just a it's like one of the most recognizable brands on the planet. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes to them doing cool things like when they released Pokemon Go, you know, you saw a huge uptick in the people that wanted to collect the cards, too. So, you know, as a general trend, it's been going up and up and up. The last probably six months or so, though, it's been softening up a little bit. I think there was the explosion was too fast, too quickly. Right. Uh, so we're seeing some corrections right now. But overall, the market's still rabid. People want these cards graded. They want them in holders. They want to put their collections together. And the new product coming out from Pokemon is pretty exciting, too. You know, great artwork, you know, great, uh, you know, collectability of the cards. Right. So I don't see any slowing down right now, but um, you know, you never know. Like all of a sudden, some big celebrity gets into it, throws her hat in the ring again, and then just to the moon again. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a course correction too. That's something that um, I've learned in the sports world over the last uh, several years. Boy, if you thought I was a bad student with uh, uh, comics and trading cards, I am an F student when it comes to paper money. Fortunately, Chad Hawk, uh, PMG's lead finalizer, is an A-plus student. Chad, how did you start collecting paper money? Hey, Alan. Um, you know, getting into paper money, I actually, um, it all started when I was a kid, you know, like many of us, I got into collecting through sports cards and current events and things like that. So I was really big into sports, um, grew up a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Right and true. So you know what? I still like you, even though I'm a Cubs guy. I think we can still be friends. I had a feeling that was coming. I had a feeling that was coming. <laughs> That's all right. We can get along for maybe for a little bit here, right? We can get along until basically basically April. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think we just took Wilson Contreras from you guys. So I don't want to talk about it. Bad blood. Go on. Anyway, anyway, back to paper money. Yeah, um, got into collecting. You know, very young. My dad was a huge collector um in fact have a lot of his collection still in great tact with our cards and things like that so was was huge into that and then um as i got older into high school i got an interest in paper money through my stepdad and really gravitated to that and u.s history um and then went on to school um and while i was in school i just kind of you know of course had no money but anywhere i could sprinkle something into the collection i was trying mm -hmm. to do so mm -hmm. um and then came down here uh, to kind of start anew and get out of Indiana um, and move. Um, and that's where I discovered uh, PMG in 2005 was getting a start. And uh, my experience was fresh, new, um, but was able to come down and uh, join the team. And then from then on, uh, provided a great experience um, where I met people like Mac Wynn and others uh, where we were able to you know, gain really awesome paper money experience. So 
Um, the origin goes all the way back to sports collecting. Um, and that, that's basically how I got my start. Yeah. I mean, collecting is collecting, right? And if you get collecting into one thing, you might get into another. It, it will make, it'll grease the wheels, if you will. Um, when I was a kid, I collected pennies. Uh, my grandmother and my parents both bought me those. Uh, and, and when I mention these, everybody knows what I'm talking about. They're these like cardboard, the uh, uh, trifold things. Whitman. Whitman pages. Yeah. That's the one. That's the one. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah. I had those. Lots of them. Uh, never uh, did I imagine. They're the paper collecting paper money would be a thing. How does one go about doing that? Where do you store it? Where do you get it? Give me the give me the gory details. Yeah, it's very interesting, you know, because um, there's a lot of things paper money can link to in the collecting world, as with other the other verticals and other areas in collecting. Um, with paper money, like cards, the centering to me always bothered me as a kid. So mm-hmm. when I'm very particular to that detail, I was able to to adopt that very quickly and really get into it. And um, it kind of drew me in there along with the information and everything like that. So looking at paper money, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that are comparable to other collectibles. Um, and I, I think just, just that overall appeal to me got me there. Um, and so when you're looking at grading, you're looking at centering, you're looking at similar things like surfaces, um, the overall body of the note and condition mm-hmm. with where as the folds. Um, and you can get into that, you know, that conversation can go on and on as we talk about grading. Sure. Um, has there been a rise in interest in paper money? It seems like, you know, like the, the trading card gaming stuff, uh, it's pretty niche, but it seems like this is, I guess, really niche. Am I, am I off base on that one or is it, uh, more popular than I realize? No, you're not. You know, paper money is very niche based. And what's interesting about paper money is it flows with current events. So, for Ooh. example, like the late passing of Queen Elizabeth, you see more notes come in with that World Cup, Olympic Games. You see a lot mm. of different things with events that will trigger collecting. And I'm sure you see this in other areas, but especially in paper money, I think it's link and draw and connection with figures in history um, and even current events and things like that um, as it's constantly circulating among society. And as you see more intertwining and international. Um, business uh, with what the pandemic's done uh, Mm -hmm. digitally and everything, paper money is finding a way to be popular within those things where you may not think it would be. Um, So we see a lot of notes that are produced within the last few years on the modern scale, as well as vintage, as you see in other areas of collecting. So it's popular and it grows and changes um, and fluctuates depending on certain markets and certain current events can affect that. I think that, you know, comics, you read them. Um, money, you spend it. Cards, you collect them, right? And unless you're a, a silly young man like me and you throw them on your bed. Uh, but it seems like it would be, of all of these different uh, classes, it would be most difficult to get consistently pristine bills. It is. It is. And, and how do you find those? And how do you make it exciting? You know, as you talk about, you know, you, you, reading comics you're playing games you know and and even as far as sports cards they're connected with everyday sporting events and things you're you're seeing on tv and things like that where paper money may be a little bit more down the rabbit hole of you've got to go find it you've got to seek it out and things like that so you know making those things exciting and then on top of that finding those high quality notes can be a serious chore in competition 
but you see collectors what, going after it. You see it happen. What blows up your mind when it shows up into the grading room? What item is it that gets you all tingly and excited? Oh, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we're all always waiting on the 1890 grand watermelon to come in. You know, we're always waiting on that note to just show up. Um, cause that's basically your Holy grail. There's only one of the 379 B, um, you know, it's a cool note, but the thing that really gets, I think us going is you somewhat become jaded from seeing so much material. You see a lot of material and a lot of people, you know, have you seen this? We've seen, yes, we've seen that. Isn't that exciting? And it is, but I think it's just that high quality. It doesn't have to be the most valuable note. I think it's just that great condition, high quality that nothing's been manipulated it's just how it's supposed to be and it could be a brand new one dollar bill and i know that sounds crazy but to a grader who sees a lot of notes and a lot of material get processed and worked in that game of grading it's really nice to just see fresh new material so let's say that i'm in the uh, paper money grading room and i walk in and yell really loudly show me the money am i gonna get slapped <laughs> No, you're probably going to get a round of applause. It's, it's, it's like everywhere else. We're a big group of we love it nerds and we embrace it all the way. So you come in there with that, you're going to get a, a warm welcome. Nice. Speaking of we love it nerds, my fellow we love it nerd, Andy Broom, um, the VP of my very own division here at CSG. Uh, I know you're, you're collecting origin story, but I want to hear it again because I think it's dope. <laughs> well, I'm uh, I'm the original promiscuous collector. You know, I, I was born to collect everything, uh, which is weird because no one in my family, uh, previous or, or or kids now, no one collects. I'm still the only collector in my family. So whatever defective gene I got from somewhere, that, <laughs> that's where we're at. But no, I uh, 1983 uh, grew up in a small town in Tennessee. Uh, and, and, you know, I distinctly remember this, uh, this memory, you know, it was an Exxon gas station and, uh, and, uh, the, you know, the old man rolled in to get some gas and a pack of smokes and came out with a pack of 83 tops baseball cards mm. and, uh, just had a very, you know, minor following with baseball. Of course, I was just at the age of starting to, to play the little league and, mm -hmm. uh, but it was cool. I, I didn't know what they were. And, uh, I, there was a, uh, there was a Ripken card in there, which at the time didn't mean anything, but, um, uh, you know, the cards kind of got set aside for a while. And, um, it wasn't until 86 when I really started to get into cards. Mm -hmm. Uh, then, you know, the kids in my neighborhood had to collect, uh, you know, once cards started really getting hot in the late eighties, the, uh, you know, the Conseco rookie, I, I'll never forget, uh, me and my friends walked to the next neighborhood over, which was about three blocks. Just because we heard there was a kid who had an 86 Donruss uh, Conseco. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted, and it's a $100 card. So, you know, we actually walked the, to the other neighborhood, which was well past our normal bounds, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, he brought it out in this one inch loose sight screw down, and it was, uh, it was magical. But, but uh, you know, I started, I started really getting heavy into collecting around that time. And um, by the time I was 12, I started doing card shows on the weekends. Uh, did my first show in 88 and uh, that's where I fell in love with, uh, with pre-war and tobacco cards, mm -hmm. um, which was really cool. I had some really cool experiences in the very early days. I wish I could go back now and take advantage of, um, but it, it was cool. You know, I was only 13 year old at card show and my display case was all T206s, you know, and, and at nice. the time there was very few, uh, 
vintage specific dealers, at least at some of these, these smaller regional shows, uh, that was the case. It was more about the, you know, the hot, what's hot and new, you know? Uh, and so I always drew a crowd. Everybody wanted to come by and just, you know, to see what I had. I didn't sell a lot. Um, but I got to buy some cool stuff because mm-hmm. I would have people come into the shows and say, you know, Hey, no one else has these. I have some of these cards that you have. Would you be interested in buying them? And of course, you know, at 13, I was just taking what I made at card shows and then turn around. And that was my, my spending money to buy more cards. Yep. You just threw it back. You just threw it back into the hobby. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. It went to, it went nowhere else, but cards and, and comics and comic art. That that was it. And, uh, so it wasn't until uh, shortly after I'd started doing shows, uh, uh, I'd gone down to a flea market and, uh, and you know, it's the, the cliche story. There was this elderly woman who was selling out everything in her house. Then, by the way, this is back when you went to flea markets, you could actually buy antiques. Yeah. You know, this is where, you know, this was the late eighties where, you know, people yeah. were at the, at the flea market at 4am with flashlights. And this was, you know, I, I never forget, you know, beautiful old Victrolas and just, you know, everything you imagine. So collectible is the same thing. So uh, this, this, this cliche elderly woman, she's got uh, a lot of her house stuff, antiques and whatnot out there in her little flea market spot. And uh, there was the, there was the shoe box. There was an actual Nike shoe box of cards and start thumbing through them. And I noticed there's some cards that are old, that are older than, than what I'm used to and, and not tobacco cards. Mm-hmm. Turned out they were 38 Gaudis. And so I grab the box, I buy it, you know, and uh, get home the next day and I'm sitting going through them and and I, and I pull out my, my trusty almanac and start looking them up and I'm saying, wow, these are, these are 300, $600. You know, the Bob Feller was, I think at the time was $600. The DiMaggio was like a thousand dollar card, which wasn't a whole lot of thousand dollar cards, you know, in the catalog at the time. Yeah. And so I was like, wow, this is uh, too good to be true. This is fantastic, you know. And, and as I'm looking at the cards, I realize something just tells me something's off, you know. And um, I don't remember which card, but one of the cards on the back, you could clearly make out part of the word reprint where they, somebody had scraped it off. Uh, and mm. these were the, the Dover reprints from, from the 80s. And so somebody attempted to make these look old. And, you know, my, my young brain uh, had a hard time comprehending that. Why would somebody do that? Obvious answer is the value, but I mean, you know, to, to do that and pass it off takes some knowledge and some effort. And so that really is what uh, really set me on the course and, and where, where I am today, why I'm here today is, is I had to know everything about cards. It wasn't even about baseball, which I love baseball, but it's cards themselves. You know, I just love everything to do with cards, non-sports and sports. You had told me uh, in a previous interview that grading and i alluded to it earlier you just got to practice and practice and practice and practice and you did a lot of practicing on your own at home before you became an actual professional grader so by the time you get became an actual professional grader you had the chops uh that probably people that have been doing it for years already had yeah yeah you know and everybody out else was out partying and, and having good times with their friends in junior high and high school I, a lot of times i was at home going through cards researching cards <laughs> uh grading cards yeah uh, i was obsessed with with pre-war especially um and yeah that was part of it i had to know everything about cards i had to know how they're made and, and and what to look for and this was this was really before grading took off and, he, and even you know psa started in 1991 um, and I had submitted cards around that time, but it wasn't, you know, 92, 93 is when I really started getting into it. And nobody that I knew was grading cards, uh, you know, getting them in holders. It just was unheard of. But 
um, you know, I, I learned, you know, what, what's it's all about eye appeal. You know, centering totally. is one of the most important things. And so to me, you know, when I was buying cards, I had some personal rules. I tried to buy T206s that uh, had no creases, regardless of corners or anything else. Look for, mm-hmm. for the centering. And so, yeah, I was I was grading cards really before it was a thing. Um, Matt Quinn uh, uh, alluded to the fact that there has been a course correction in, in his uh, in his bucket. Are you seeing that in the sports world? I am, but I feel like people are freaking out a little more than they need to be. Yeah, no doubt. Look, and I think part of the freak out is these are people who weren't necessarily in this market before the pandemic. Right. Not saying that's all everyone, but that's a majority. Um, you know, I've been professionally grading now for 24 years. And so I've seen the roller coaster of the market. It goes up, it goes down. Uh, and, you know, is the market where it go? No, absolutely not. Uh, is the market where it was before the pandemic? I think so. And I actually think it's stronger than that. There's still Agreed. a very strong market. Uh, it's a strong collector base. What we don't have are the uh, the flippers and investors who really had nothing to do or really care a lot about cars. They weren't collectors. Yep. This was yep. in it for They're the investors. Month. They're investors. Investors. And even on a, on a small scale, you know, people saw, hey, I can go to Walmart and buy a box of cards and make thousands of dollars. And that's exactly what they did. They'd run out. They would fight each other in the in the aisles. They'd go get the cards. They'd grade them. They'd grade every card they could find. And then they'd go online and talk about how my sixes and sevens should be all tens and the grading companies don't know what they're doing. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm, and I'm very familiar with those conversations. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, it, it, there is a correction that's happening, but it's not it's it's not doom and gloom. It really isn't. Like I said, this is the market before the pandemic was a great market. And that's that's kind of where we are now. It's just it's corrected because there is a, a foreign element that's now pulled away from the market, I, I believe. And uh, and I think we see that we're seeing that we know we're, we're back to a lot of passionate collectors who are who are buying and selling cards, dealers that are buying and selling cards. But it's kind of we're kind of back to normal in, in a sense. Yeah, I'm pretty convinced that if you remove, if you're just doing like a graph, right, if you remove that hockey stick from the pandemic and literally put the other two lines together, this upward trajectory, and it wasn't a huge upward trajectory, but there was an upward trajectory. I think that we would be seeing literally the exact same trajectory sans pandemic. Yeah, I think that it, that's correct. That's, that's what I believe for sure. All right. Before I let you guys go, I want to work around the room. We are approaching uh, 2023. Uh, it's been a hell of a year uh, in collecting. But what's going to happen next? I need some bold predictions. Matt Nelson, give me some comic bold predictions. What might what crazy stuff might, might we see in the next 12 months? Uh, foreign comics or international comics is something that we're working on uh, right now, like a big push. Uh, I just became uh, intimate with them over the past couple of years. And I was blown away with what's out there that's a lot of collectors not even aware of. So um, that's something I, I, I see growing in the next uh, next few years. Um, gosh, let me think. Uh, oh God, we've, there's so many other things that we've launched this year um, that I think we, we are going to grow in the in the coming years. I mean, we did like newsstand editions, and uh, uh, obviously the grading guide came out. And uh, we've got some, oh, pulps. Pulps are coming. That's another mm-hmm. exciting thing. So I don't know um, how many listeners probably know about pulps, but they're uh, a sister to comic books. But they've been, they, they, the pulps, unlike comics, pulps died out by the uh, 60s. <clears throat> Digest, actually, um, paperbacks killed them. But uh, in their heyday, in the 30s in particular, 30s and 40s, and even back in the 20s, they were 
amazing. They were so cool and actually published by a lot of uh, comic publishers as well. Like, for instance, yep. Fiction House did Jungle Comics and Planet Comics, but they were also doing Jungle Stories and Planet Stories pulps. And the pulps were geared more towards adults, and uh, the cover themes are a lot more adult. They're beautifully painted. And there's a lot of uh, important writers and characters that came out of pulps, like uh, Tarzan, Zorro, Buck Rogers. Um, oh, gosh, who else? Uh, Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank on the other ones. Um, and then, you know, Philip K. Dick and Tennessee Williams and uh, even L. Ron Hubbard, you know, all these uh, literary giants. And so, you know, so there's there's um, uh, a pulp community that's been very active since day one. And and there's a lot of crossover from comic book collectors. But but it's been kind of limited because certification never really got into pulps, uh, which is what we're actually moving to do now. We've been playing this for a couple of years and we're looking at the launch here uh, in uh, the first part of 2023. So that, to me, is a big thing that's going to happen. I think I'm really excited to bring those into the fold, into the mix with the comic collectors, because they're just, if they, you know, it's a cover-driven market, I was saying earlier on the uh, the golden age, when the pulps hit the market and they see these things, they're just going to be blown away by what they see. So uh, so we got that coming up. And then, um, you know, but as far as, like, comics in general, it just, you know, it keeps growing. Um, and a lot of new ideas just keep coming out, not only through uh, new comics that are being created, but also certify, uh, certification. We're working closer with artists and publishers. And <clears throat> so there's a lot of exciting ideas that are coming, at, uh, coming out of that as well. So uh, 2023 in particular is going to be a very active year. So I'm lo- very, very much looking forward to that. You're killing me with this pulp thing because I had a whole bunch of those also when I was a kid. So I, the, like the amount of stuff that is now landfill that probably could have paid for my daughter's college education is <laughs> killing me. <laughs> What's going on in the trading card world, Matt Quinn? What are we going to see in 2023 that's going to get even a dummy like me all psyched? Well, the trading card world is always exciting because we have set releases happening all the time. Um, I think there's a lot of new trading card games coming out um, that are going to catch a lot of traction. Mm-hmm. Um, Pokemon's always continuing to uh, do cool things. And actually, I think the world's championship will be in Japan this year for Pokemon. Cool. Yeah, so that, that's huge. So I'm sure they'll do all kinds of crazy promos for it. You know, we just had Magic 30th anniversary last year. So, um, you know, there's a lot of cool things happening in the major, the major um, publishers for trading cards. Uh, also, you know, us as a company, we plan on, you know, expanding our presence overseas, opening up our, our offices in Munich and London to start accepting trading cards. Uh, do some shows overseas, you know, really kind of expand into that international market because, you know, most of these cards are printed in several languages. You know, I think Magic's printed in like 14 languages or something like that. Pokemon almost the same. So, you know, there's a huge presence overseas for the uh, for the gaming industry, especially these trading card games. So we're excited to get over there and start helping out those collectors who don't really have a, a great resource for third-party grading yet. Chad, talk to me about money. What are we going to be seeing in the in the coming months and years? Yeah, twenty twenty three is going to be exciting. The uh, the fun fun shows kicking off. There's going to be a big big auction that always kicks off the year. Uh, we're going to have a great presence again internationally and domestically. So you know, there's you know paper money uh, takeover in the world. We really feel like uh, it's getting popular. So we're going to have a great presence out there. And then I think most of Importantly for paper money and, and collectibles in general is I think the competition is going to really keep picking up um, mm. with quality of, of paper money and notes and coins and everything, as well as rarities and boring registry. So I look for uh, PMG and CCG in general just to really take off with competition this year. Bring us home, Andy. What kind of interesting stuff could we be seeing in the card collecting world? come next year 
Well, you know, it, uh, to, to kind of echo what everyone else said, uh, international is the name of the game. We've already uh, uh, made strides overseas. Uh, we just attended the, the Munich card show uh, last month. Uh, so our office in Munich is getting ready to get fired up for, for both trading and sports cards. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot more uh, interaction with the public. We're going to do a lot more grading on site. Uh, I've got some grading events all over the world, including Japan, which is near and dear to my heart. Uh, and got some really cool uh, new products and services that are coming that I can't really talk about yet. But um, as a as a card nerd and a passionate collector, I'm excited for sure. Mm-hmm. So I know I know a little bit about them too. I'm pretty hyped myself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This is great stuff, guys. I learned so so much. Matt Nelson, Chad Hawk, Matt Quinn, Andy Broom. Uh, get your grade on, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks, Alan. Whether it's a 1986 Michael Jordan Fleer rookie card, a Tom Brady Playoff Contenders rookie card from 2000, or, I don't know, a Marv Throneberry card that came out of a Post cereal box in 1963, and yes, that's a thing, Certified Sports Guarantee will grade your sports cards quickly and accurately. A subsidiary of Certified Collectibles Group, CSG graded over 1 million cards in its first year plus on the sports collecting scene, the fastest any grading company has hit that mark. The speedy turnaround times provided by the knowledgeable, passionate team of expert sports car graders will make your CSG experience smooth, efficient, and most importantly, fair. Regardless of the athlete, the sport, or the condition of your card, CSG will treat it with the love and respect it deserves. For more information about CSG, visit csgcards.com. That's CSG, your go-to sports card grading company. We hope you enjoyed Collect This, powered by CSG. Collect This was hosted, written, produced, engineered, and scored by Alan Goldshire. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at collectthis at csgcards.com. 